This is Joshua Bell with the Kilt and the Cloth in our Tuesday morning Bible study as uh, we uh, begin again in the fall of 2023. And we're going to be doing um, a Bible study series on what I'm calling the short books of the New Testament. And uh, um, we're going to start with the first uh, letter of John, not the Gospel of John, not the Revelation to John, which are all totally different people. And they're not to be confused with John the Baptist. So uh, so let's just kind of start there. Um, first John is obviously to a congregation that it, um, had suffered, uh, I think my commentary says, a, a lot of division uh, amongst its members. The, the congregation it had... Um, had been be, begun and they started to struggle with what it meant theologically. Um, the first time that this person is mentioned is uh, is by a, a gentleman by the name of uh, Arrhenius, I-R-A-N-E-U-S, uh, around 180. So we tend to believe this person was probably uh, more in um, the second century so I want you to think about this historically. If one of the struggles that we have um, in the 21st century is, is you have, and I've always said this on our studies, is that we have a homogenized understanding of the New Testament. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are all one book in our head, even though they weren't written that way. Uh, all the letters of Paul are all one book but they, they are definitely not written that way. One of the fallacies about the church is, is that they, they automatically understood that there's a Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and that's, that's a massive fallacy. Another one that, that we tend to forget is, is that, well, they all, they all believed exactly the same. I mean, as soon as Jesus went into heaven, everybody was happy, right? So, uh, they understood baptism. They all understood communion, and they all understood. But that's just that's just ridiculous. That would be like me telling you all uh, that uh, beef tenderloin is better to cook than pork tenderloin, and I'd like you to prove me different, <laughs> right? Like that's it, it's a it's a a matter of opinion. And in the first and second century century, the the struggles that they were having were matters of opinion. And how is God speaking to them in the midst of the craziness that they're dealing with? So if we believe, and we, we can pretty much prove that 1 John was written in the latter part of the second century, they've had time to argue. Now let's think about what they would argue about. All right, Jesus dies. He's Jewish. Before he dies, he says words about an afterlife. As Jews, there was not an afterlife. That's something I want you to catch. So that's going to cause a division in a congregation right off the bat. Um, another one. We don't need a Holy Spirit if we're Jewish. Why would we need a Holy Spirit? We just have God. We don't need anything else. Well, Jesus uses that language specifically. And the letters, by the time we're in the latter part of the second century holy spirit is something that they're all talking about 
spirit. And why do they know that? Because of Paul. Because Jesus dies in 33-ish. Paul starts writing in 45 to 65. And in that time frame, Paul starts talking about the Holy Spirit. You're going to have spiritual gifts, and you're going to have this, and you're going to have this, and the Spirit's going to guide you. And all of a sudden, everybody's like, oh, so now we have a Holy Spirit. So they're, they're going to argue. It's just what churches do, right? So, but they, they can't all agree on how the Holy Spirit works. Think about the Gospel of John, the Gospel, right? Now, that's written in about the same time as 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, which is why everybody gets a little bit confused. It's really the first time that a gospel has addressed the Holy Spirit as a real living thing. Jesus says in John chapter 14, uh, while I may no longer be with you, I will leave with you my advocate, the Holy Spirit that I leave in my name, who will yada, 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 guide you and direct you in everything that you do, right? I use that in every celebration of life service because it's, I believe it with my entire being that that that's what that passage is supposed to be talking about. So for me, the Holy Spirit has been thought out enough that they can finally answer what it means to them. But in this church of First John, they're really struggling with this. Which is why I want you to really, when you're when we when we discuss it, you be cognizant of the fact that you already have an understanding of the Holy Spirit. They don't think of it as 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 when we look at these small books of the Bible as if they're babies in the faith. And how do we talk about these things to somebody when they first experience God? Just let's just start there. All of a sudden they go, I've had a life thing happen in my life. That's really I'd have no other reason to explain it. But something bigger than me took care of it. Um. And then they, they're exposed to God. And then, then we say, well, since we're talking about God, let's talk to you about Jesus. And and how do we talk about it with this new person in their faith? And as if, if that wasn't cool enough, let's, let's talk about how the Holy Spirit guides us in, in the ways that we live our life. And the gifts that you have are designed to help others. This is how the first second and third books of John are written and you can tell that it's written in such a way to help bring together the church rather than to create more division um, which is something that the church should always strive for um, we just don't do a really great job with that all the time um, are they still under the oppression of the Roman Empire? oh yeah yeah, yeah, they don't they don't get out of that until around the third or fourth century. Um, Constantine doesn't even declare Christianity as the Holy Roman Church until uh, three twelve. So we we've got a ways to go. So these people are still fighting to survive. He these people are still struggling with what it means. Um, where are they at? Uh, historically, let's see what my commentary says. There, it's usually, I think my commentary says it's usually considered a Gnostic text or against Gnostics, but I'm trying to think. It's written in the same language, 
style is Gospel of John. Something about Ephesus. Yeah, there it is. It should be associated with Ephesus. Why? Because that's the original spot that we believe that John's church was. So these letters are written to the starting of Christianity. Yeah. Or uh, is the audience Jewish or is it a melting pot? Great question. It's it's a melting pot at because, this point. And the only reason I'm asking this, I was just reading the line before a little bit. And there was a question uh, <clears throat> by one of the groups, and I may get way ahead of everything, why they needed Jesus, which would also, why do they need uh, the Holy Spirit? But it sort of sounded like to me, okay, okay, I mean, here's some good Jewish background along the temple that we need to talk to God and this is where we don't need Jesus for that we don't need the Holy Spirit for this that's right uh, you know we don't have our priests anymore that we feel like we can talk to God directly and back to what you're saying whole, yeah no, and, and we have to yeah yeah whole understanding of all that but it just put a thought in my head I had ever thought of is again it's all laid out for us you know that okay well if we accept Jesus as a, a prophet but not the son of God and we can speak directly to God because I personally feel like that I mean I you know I Jesus is the son of God but I feel like I can talk to God I can talk to Jesus Holy Spirit talks to me most of the time. I don't understand. But that's neither here nor there. <clears throat> anyway, I can understand why there would be confusion, is right. what I'm trying to say. Because yeah. it's not laid out yet. No. And and they're and they're really so so like while even as you're describing the disconnect sometimes with our own relationship with the three, right? um they're they're struggling with how do we express it and then um and then on top of that uh just to taking it a step further they're writing it in such a way that it's going to sound a lot like the gospel of john so this is another thing that i want to point out before we begin reading is the reason the church has said for centuries and millennia that first, second, and third John was written by the same guy that wrote the Gospel of John, which is funny because almost all scholars believe that the Gospel of John was written by multiple people. So uh, the reason that we say this is because at the time, it was considered honorable, it was considered just, it was considered uh, beautiful to write in the same way of someone that has inspired you. The best way I can explain this is, is that uh, Handel, <clears throat> Mozart writes uh, the Requiem, right? You all know Mozart's Requiem. We've all heard bits and pieces of it. You you, you can hear bits of it and go, oh yeah, I've, I've seen it, I've sung it. You know, we've all, we've all been in this thing. The part that you all don't know is, is that most of the orchestration 
that expands Mozart's Requiem was written by Handel. Uh, he gets his student, Mozart's student, Sussmeyer, gets credit for expanding the orchestration. But what really happens is Handel express, uh, ex, extends it to a point where we have a full orchestra and he actually finishes bits and pieces of the stuff that Sussmeyer didn't. But who got credit for it? Mozart. That wasn't designed to be uh, against the law. It wasn't a copyright infringement. It was we can help make this and take this to the next level. And if Mozart would have been alive, and he did, he took bits and pieces from Bach. You know, he took stuff that he knew and he put it in his own compositions because that's what you did. It was to compliment this other person that you knew. And you wrote it in such a way that looked like and sounded like the other author. So I'm making a big deal out of this because in our minds, and the church has continued to speak as such, that, well, the Gospel of John writer wrote these three books as well. Yes, but we don't know. We weren't there. The reality of it is, is most likely this was written by several different people. And the beautiful part about it is, think of how awesome that is. <clears throat> that testimony of saying, this message matters. And the way that this message matters is written in this way. So if I'm going to write a gospel, I, I want to write it in such a way that honors those that have been before me. And why are they writing the gospels? Well, because our Hebrew Bible past wrote these books in the name of prophets. So that's what we're doing. We're honoring our new heritage with new prophets. It's, it's brilliant when you when you give yourself that moment of freedom to say, I don't have to believe it's just this way, the way that the church said it. Historically, academically, this is a, a more accurate way to give it that light. So I think we need to start reading. Uh, one of my uh, favorite Greek words should be in between verse 1 and 4, it's in the middle of verse 3. Uh, it's it a, like a fellowship. 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 Should be koinonia. Koinonia. Yeah. It's my favorite word. Uh, so here we go. We declare to you what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands. Listen to that language. What was from the beginning, we have heard what we have seen with our eyes. We have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word logos, the word? Logo. Uh, of life. This life was revealed and we have seen it and testified to it and declared to you the eternal life that was with the father and was revealed to us. We declare to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have koinonia or uh, fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So how many of your translations sound similar to that? Not at all? Yeah, what, what, what versions we got today? NIV. 
This uh, NLT New Living Translation should have sounded close. Good. I think the part that I'm really wanting to make sure is, is that your translations have the word fellowship. Okay. That's really important. Uh, Josh, yo. mine is English standard version. Does it have the word fellowship? Yes, it does. It has a lot of what you read, almost like it. It should. It should be right close. Uh, the fellowship is the part that's really important here, because this this uh, this Greek word koinonia uh, is is very important. Um, this fellowship is a group of people that not only believe together, but they also work together. They live together. This is this is uh, if you ever wanted proof that the church did all these things together, that word right there is why it's so important. Uh, this fellowship is um, is what your translation should have. If it doesn't, we, we they're not using the Greek. And the Greek is very explicit here. Um, the other one that uh, you should have, uh, it's in there. Uh, let's see. It should it should have had the conversation of, it might have sounded different, but it, it should be something about seeing and hearing and touching. That should be in there <clears throat> so that we could testify to it. The eternal life part, that's really important that you all have. Is that in your translations? Around in the verse two somewhere, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Should, eternal life is a new theological statement for this church. Um, and then I love I love this uh, so that you may also have fellowship. So this is a so now we're extending our community to you and inviting you to be a part of this community. Koinonia is better translated as community but fellowship is what we use in biblical translations hence the reason that our newsletter is called the koinonia it's about the fellowship what is going on in our fellowship at the church that's why that's the title of our newsletter i know i'm a nerd but i don't care <laughs> well and we do work believe and live together that's right as and we try to put church. everything that we do together as a church in the newsletter. So to me, it's that's where the what that's why we we named it that way. So what a great introductory statement. I'm gonna keep going if you're if you're good. But just don't skip over the fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. Oh yeah, no. I mean now, now we've got a clear, delineated statement theologically. We have, we also have fellowship with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ. Now, this is also important. Is that the, is it pot, um, pot? I don't remember the Greek word God, for God the Father. Is it God the Father there it's in Greek? Patros. Patros. Okay, yeah. So it's still Father. It's not. Yeah, it doesn't say God. It says Father. That's right. So it says Father. Patros. So. This is a this is a big thing in Greek here. 
because <clears throat> in other places God is mentioned as different things. This church is obviously saying God is Father. Uh, so Father and Son should say Son right after Theo. Theo, yeah. Weo. Weo. Really? Weo. Well, I'll be yeah. Weo, okay, actually. Son. Son. Of of him. So uh doesn't say Christos there then does it? Um yes, yes, Christus. Okay, all right. So uh son yes uh Jesus Christ. Uh so now now you've got three communities. The ones that are writing it, the ones that they're writing it to on behalf of the ones that they're a part of. The community of God, aka Father and the Son. Notice there's no conversation about Holy Spirit right there. Okay, so just want to make sure you're all catching that. That's that's really important to hear. So he's going to bring him up, but not in the way that you think. All right, so let's keep going. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him while we are walking in darkness, we lie and do not do what is true. But if we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. As we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If That's we a major caraway scripture. Huh? That's a major caraway scripture. It's huge. It's, uh, it, it guides the church for two millennia. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So, uh, I just got to point out a few things. Uh, the, the big part here is light, right? In the Gospel of John, those that walk in the light are what? Faithful. Faithful. Good. What else do we think about people that walk in the light? Fellowship. They're in fellowship. They know the truth. They know the truth. Righteous. Yeah, they're righteous. John, the Gospel of John writer. This is this is the homage to the Gospel of John, bringing up the light and dark. Remember, Jesus. Anytime that something happens in the Gospel of John, that's a good thing. It's always in the light. Like even story right wise, and anything bad that happens happens at night, right? And so if that means that happens in the Gospel of John, this homage here is saying. That those people that are in the dark, they are what? They're not good. Non-believers. That's right. Unbelievers. <clears throat> They're not in fellowship with God. That's a big deal. So if we go back to the whole idea of Rome, right? If they're not walking in the footsteps of Jesus in the light, then they are living in the dark. And if they're living in the dark, then they are, uh, well, their reward is not heaven. <laughs> they're going to the dark. They're going to the dark. <laughs> the void of light. 
So my favorite part about this particular specific space is, is that the writer is saying, God is that light. Whereas in the Gospel of John, it's alluded to. It's not said specifically that. Does that make sense? Well, if you'd asked me who the light was, I would have said Jesus. Right. I mean, but in verse five, he says very clearly, God is the light. Yeah. However, this is where my, I'm so glad that you said that. Because in chapter two, he says, oh yeah, but the Jesus is something different. Jesus says he's the light. I mean, in the gospel of John. Yeah. That's I mean, right. This church says, God is the light. In the gospel of John, Jesus says, he is the light. I am the light of the way and the truth of the life. No one gets to the Father except through me, right? Remember that language? Gospel of John. First John. God is, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. And in him, there is no darkness at all. So there's a, a very clear theological delineation here that and, and please understand, I'm not saying that you need to believe this. I'm just making sure you understand that this would cause conflict within our own church. If I said to you, well, I'm going to go with the first John version of God versus the gospel of John version of God, we would have a fight at the church, right? Um, I doubt that really, but, you know, it's just the idea. If, I, if I'm going to change the way that we believe, uh based off of one passage of scripture I, I i would have to be very careful like that would be have to be that would be dumb but in this place they're they're making stances it solidifies the the, the three and one i mean yeah we, we haven't got three yet but we I haven't mean, got the third part but right now he is definitely saying well here's this role god is the light and let's look at chapter two my little children. <laughs> Josh, is oh, yeah, go ahead. Is he saying that for the Jews? Maybe this is a mixed audience, so it's not it's not for just the Jews. This is for everyone there. They don't know they don't know what to do with it. They they have no idea how to communicate what God is, what Jesus is, or what the Holy Spirit is. All they know is. This Jesus guy gave it to them over a hundred years ago, and they've watched the Temple of Jerusalem be destroyed. They've watched Christians, people that claim to be a part of the way, be crucified and lined up on the street and treated as less than dirt. None of those sound good. None of those sound good. And yet, somehow, by this time, I, I want to say, we I, I saw a map one time when I was in seminary of the gradual progression of Christianity in the first century and second century. And by this point, I mean, you're, you're talking predominantly most of the area of that world uh, was getting more and more pockets of Christianity all over the Mediterranean, this, this area. If I was to look at the map, yeah, <clears throat> uh, you guys can't see it online, but pretend. <laughs> so like, at the time that Jesus dies, um, you know, it's it's right in this area. By the time that this is being written, um, this was, when Jesus dies, this is the only people that were affected geographically. 
by the time first, second, and third John had been written, Paul had already been around. So he'd been around this whole area like three times. And in those places, he had established churches. So if he establishes a church here in Ephesus, which just so happens to be the place the Gospel of John is supposedly being written, and this guy is supposedly being in the same area, uh, it just kind of gives you an idea. There's a big group of people. So Ephesus, the reason this is such a big deal, the reason I'm not saying just Jews, is this huge trade place, very cosmopolitan, uh, Romans, Greeks, <clears throat> you've got people from, uh, what do they call them, Dacia, and then over here, Armenia at that point, all, all of them are crossing across there to get to here because it's just such a huge place. You know, not, not to mention the Mediterranean. Everybody's going into these places, but Ephesus had this humongous trade forms that they were using. Um, roads, nobody stopped there. You know, Nero, they came, but really Ephesus was huge. Ephesus and, and Smyrna at the time. So <clears throat> you start here, and then it just goes, and then these little pockets of places, by the time we get to 180, there are churches all over the place that cannot identify themselves as Jews, Christians, or whatever. They just say we're believers of. And uh, interestingly enough, the diaspora had a group of people in Ephesus, Jewish folks, and they had a group of people in Rome, which is why as Paul is traveling, which is why I say we have our own conversation with Paul, Paul doesn't go and just, hey, I'm here, let me establish a church. He goes where there are Jewish communities. Because one cannot be Jewish alone. Does that make sense? So if he goes and he starts establishing these churches all over the place, people are going to be there, uh, like Thecla, this woman that hears him talking about all of these cool things, and she decides to leave Tarsus and starts establishing her own church from the words that Paul told her. So, like, I mean, it's just this brilliant this thing, but there's people all over the place, and the reason I'm being very broad and vague is they don't necessarily have a clear delineation of their name. They don't get called Christians until uh, really the, the third century. We used it in, in 92 AD, once the Colosseum is built, they use the word uh, Christians uh, for the gladiator pits. You know, we, we do know that happened. And all the way up until 120, once the uh, gladiator pits were just running rampant, Christians were a thing that you could see, but it was a term. It wasn't necessarily, it wasn't a nice term. It was basically, this is a, this is somebody that's supposed to have a whole bunch of power. Watch us kill him with a lion. But they did the same thing with Ethiopians and Egyptians. And they would say, you know, they just took slaves and called them whatever they wanted to, to, to make money. So that's where you hear the term Christian. And it was never in a good way. So at this time, they were new believers without a title. Pretty of. much. I mean, they, they some of them would call themselves Christians, some of them call themselves disciples, some of them call themselves a part of the way uh, Gnostics becomes a, a, a thing. They, they started calling themselves Gnostics. We have the truth, you know, Gnosis. Um, there's not a name here, which is also why they're trying to establish 
what it is that they believe. We we are different than dot dot dot. Mm -hmm. Our Jewish brothers and sisters. We are different than those Gnostic brothers and sisters. Dot dot dot. So did they call themselves Gentiles? Well, the only one that called them Gentiles were Jews. Gentile is not a is not a thing or a place. It's a name for other people. Non Jews. Non Jews. Yeah. <laughs> It's not a it's not a place or a people. They're not a group of people who were Gentiles. Gentile just meant non Jews. And and uh, people that are not like us. That's right. That's literally it. And it's that, that or it, what is that woman's name that wrote stories about people from the cave of the bear or something? I don't know. I read a couple of them. All those 25 that years ago. By God. Anyway, she she just called them us and others. That's all they called people. They're us and they're others. That's I'm all Gentiles was. They're others. And you can't do that. <laughs> oh, no, that's it. I guess you can. I just compartmentalize. I think, in terms of today, we're a long ways from one church. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh yes. yeah. Yeah. We're so. You know, yeah. What's the difference today? Because because we know we're right. Those guys down the street are <laughs> totally they're not us. That's right. Totally not on. Not us. Yeah. In other words, there's us and everybody else. And there's the yeah. Gentiles. <laughs> Just the same. They're the Gentiles. Like that's that's the way you want to. When when you hear that in the New Testament, remember the language. Who's saying it? It's usually the Pharisees or the Sadducees because in the Hebrew Bible, if you were not a part of the chosen people. You were Gentiles, and and there was a, a, a clear delineation of that. That's why they, they you have all the ites or the the eens, right? The Philistines or the Hittites or the Canaanites, and and it's just that they were from that geographical place that nobody else knew about except for the people in the Hebrew Bible. This is the part that's also fascinating. We tend to believe that there were like millions of Jews at this time, right? It's it's more like hundreds, a hundred thousand, maybe. You know, and it's really, really, I, I think I had a Hebrew Bible teacher tell me one time or a professor tell me it's more like 80,000 Jews in that whole area that I was just saying, not in Jerusalem, maybe, maybe two to 3,000 people, because uh, it's just, it's just, we, we think huge because our world is so expansive now. Because of movies. Because of movies. There's, well, there's... Because we know, we know what the world looks like. Right, right. <laughs> Rather than just the horizon. Yeah, and, and you guys have seen pictures of Jerusalem where there's 3,000 people living just right there in this one little block, right? Back then, there was 3,000 people living in the whole city. You know, it, it was, it's like Perry. Like, I always try to explain it that way. Perry is very compact, and we have, you know, three to 5,000 people, depending on who you talk to on what day of the week it is. But uh, you have these people that are all living amongst each other, and we're all different and we all classify each other in the jewish culture they just added the ites and the eens to it and then gentiles were just anybody that didn't believe the same way we did or samaritans huh the samaritans samaritans were were a thing so they, they did believe the same they, they did they, believe the same they still want to ask for us that's right and they and they were they were part of uh ishmael's group so we don't really want to associate with them so um so there, there's a I think it's a great question, Karen, because 
at this time, you can already just, you just proved it. There's already a division theologically as to what is Jesus and what is God. The Gospel of John, the guy that this is playing homage to, has already said, well, I think, I think John has got something there, but God is the light and Jesus works for him. Whereas in the Gospel of John writer says, yeah, God's there. God's the creator. He's, he's my heavenly father. And his theology is much more expansive than this. He says, but I'm the light and the way and the truth and the life. If you want to go to the God, you got to come through me. And then I'm going to send to you an, an advocate, somebody in my holy name, right? And this person in First John is saying, oh, yeah? Well, let me tell you who the real advocate is. It's going to be Jesus. You see how, and it's hard because, Karen, I think we all compartmentalize this. Like we want it, it's it's too expensive to think God is bigger than all of this stuff. We want to make it easier for us. And you can see why the church has struggled since the beginning. In a modern day application, I took a field trip with uh, my classes and one of the fathers and I were standing in a Native American exhibit in the Gilkey's Museum. And uh, he looked at me and says, I'm not Native American. Mm -hmm. says, I'm Tonka. He says, and quite frankly, our tribe didn't like any of those other tribes. <laughs> and that's kind of the 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 Jews and the others. That's exactly right. That's a hundred percent right. Uh, and I could go on to a whole conversation about how that culture, uh, first persons have more of an understanding of the Jewish life than any of us will ever understand. And um, there's, there's such a good connection there for us as we have this discussion, but uh, because I want to, I want to get through. Uh, we have five minutes left. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna read verse two through six because it's, it's kind of a cool part uh, that I got to point out a couple Greek words, make sure that I'm saying them right. Uh, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Uh, what word is the sin there? Pamarte. Pamarte. That means sin. So I can't, that's not the one I thought it was. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins, here it comes, Karen, for the whole world. Now, it's right, for the whole world. Now, by this, we may, may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But wherever, uh, whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says I abide in him ought to walk just as he walked. Uh, so the advocate word in Greek is parakleton, right? Yeah. Okay, and then, then the other one, Elosmos, atoning sa sacrifice. Should be in verse two. Oh, the propitiation or expiation for the sins. Yeah. 
Is that the? He lost most. He it, lost most. He lost most. Okay, good. This is found in the Septuagint, and oh, okay. And and uh, the Septuagint version is kind of important because uh, while you're translating this, there's there's a new theology being introduced. And and since I've got three minutes, what is sin, right? According to Torah, it's every time that you decided to not do what God has asked you to do in the 613 commandments found in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. And the only way that you can be atoned for those sins, and remember the word in Hebrew is chata, which means to miss the mark. If I'm supposed to be walk, uh, doing what God has asked me to do and follow the chesed of God, I when I sin, I miss the mark. I do the wrong thing. Sin is now the definitions changing. Sin is not just missing the mark, it's doing it intentionally. It's also meaning that when I sin, I might not know it. In the Hebrew culture, you knew that you didn't burn your offering. You knew that you caused problems. So there's a there's a new thought process being introduced here that Jesus is has come to be your advocate in the times that you do wrong and the times that you have done uh, and, and done it unintentionally. Now, here's the big part, and I'm going to melt your brains, and then you have a minute and a half. <laughs> <laughs> the big part here, which is a problem, it, it, and, and not, very few of the other books in the New Testament agree with this, um, and then they do, is, is that Jesus becomes the burnt offerings for your sin. I'm going to say that again. It replaces the burnt offerings for your sin. We've been brought up to believe that Jesus cleanses us of our sins. And yes, we use, some of us use that theology where Jesus gave up his life as a sacrifice for our sins, but that's not exactly what's being saying here jesus is replacing here the offerings that we would have made in the past i know i'm making a semantic argument but this is a big deal for this church in first john um it would only apply to the jews because all those go. other gentile people wouldn't have been doing that anyway that's right and so if by if we go by that assumption that this is only for the jews well, that particular argument. <laughs> Just this particular argument. So uh, if we're if we're replacing the offerings for that, then the sin encompasses them, which is why the person said, but not just them, but also the sins of the world. This cosmos. is that's right, as the cosmos. So now you've got now you've got both ends, which is now proof that you've got a multi-group uh, ethnic group as an audience. So you have Jews and you have Gentiles and you have, you know, you have a whole bunch of people here because now they're still struggling with what does sin mean. And we need to stop there and pick up. Real quick, James, yep. James 4, 417. So any person who knows what is right to do and does not do it to him is sin. That kind of thing, like if you don't know what's right, then it's not a sin to you at that time. It's a conversion, but that's just a scripture that popped in my mind. Yeah, James. Yep. I don't know if they would have known James, 
but it's definitely something that the con congregation of James and this church are struggling with. Paul struggles with sin a lot. Like, what is a sin? What is not a sin? How do we delineate that? And and um, I think I just kind of, I think for the end of the recording, I think the part, I kind of go with what Jesus is is saying. It, it, there's a there's a very strong understanding of kata with Jesus's language. When when you're missing that mark, you know, like we've been given Torah to to take care of humanity and the world that God created. And if we're not doing that, that's sin. And Jesus kind of emulates that throughout all of his ministry. Um, and so as, as we get into this, the arguments that you start to see outside the Gospels are, yeah, but. And so you have some conversation, I think, with the other epistles and the other letters that look like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where they're, they're like, yeah, Leviticus had it kind of cool, but Deuteronomy is the right way. Or Deuteronomy has it right, but we're we're telling Leviticus how to do it better, you know. Uh, so I just, I, I think this is a, a really good place for us to stop because in verse 7, we start with the, the new commandment, this new, the new commandment. Notice how that's being said. How many are, how many commandments are there? Ten. Ten, good. New Testament two. And, and, and the New Testament two. And then, uh. Depending on which book you read, there's probably 15, you know, so uh, it's it's a it's an interesting conversation. So I'm going to stop the recording.